Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other co-host, Brennan McCullough. How you doing, Bren? I'm doing alright. I mean, it's like 91 degrees in the middle of winter, but like, that's cool. Yeah. That's not a sign of things to come. Not at all. Uh, let's keep it cheery this episode. No, Ooh, no promises. <laughs> I'm here. I'm going to try my best here, listener. But uh, for anybody who knew, this is a video game podcast, so we're just going to kind of catch up on what games we've been playing. I don't have a huge update this week, but I do have an interesting thing I'm going to bring to the table, so to speak. Oh, what? pun intended. Future pun intended. What? Uh, but, what? Brent, what have you been playing these days? Uh, so i still on my crack cocaine addiction of Binding of Isaac. So that's Oh, that's, that's right. That just, you kind of... Uh, Relapsed. Yeah, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, that DLC is apparently coming, and I'm I'm getting ready for it. Um, so there's a bunch of different characters in Binding of Isaac Rebirth, and then with each character, you can defeat a certain level or a certain boss or a certain mode of the game. There's like I think ten different versions of it now, and then each version has a harder version. So Damn. there's a lot of different modes to beat with each character and stuff, and then each time you do, you unlock you know a new item or something. To be found in the dungeon for another playthrough. Right. So even with all my hours in it, there's still impossible stuff I'll never get. And it's, I'm still unlocking new stuff every time I play through. And yeah, I found uh, new items and uh, playing with a character for, for a new time, trying to get better. But I found there's a new boss that I think was either added after I stopped playing or I just never got to. So there, I found another whole new area of the dungeon and a new boss entirely. Nice. After, you know, 500 plus hours. <laughs> so That's amazing. Like, yeah. There's so much shit in this game. <laughs> and the new boss is uh, Delirium. And it's a new floor. You, The trick is you have to play the game. You have to get to uh, Mother, who was like, a, you know, originally the first boss. Uh, and beat her. And then... Uh, get to It Lives, or what was Mother's Heart, which is like the secondary boss, two stages after her. Okay. Um, you have to beat both of them within 30 minutes. And then Damn. You do, you get a Hush, which is a, new le- which is a new area, which is essentially just a big boss. Like, you go to a new floor, and it's just this boss, and like a few items you can get power-ups from. Um, so you fight just this boss, Hush, and it's rough. He's not easy, like, and it's you know, bullet hell at its peak with finding Isaac with this guy. Fight him, and then you kill him. That unlocks the new area, which gets you to Delirium, which is a whole, f- which is a massive sprawling level, like a ton of rooms that change with each floor you've been to. Each room changes, so you can run into any kind of enemies on each room, even bosses. Yep. So it's rough. And then within this floor, there's seven boss rooms. What? And one of them is Delirium, who is the new boss, and, like, the actual boss of that floor. But you don't know that until you go into each room and find out who's there. Right, and I'm assuming it's kind of like other roguelites I play. Once you walk into a boss room, you can't exit until you defeat the boss? Yeah, so, like, normal rooms, the door's shut, but if you put, like, a bomb or something explodes next to them, the door can get blown open, and you can just dip out if you don't want to deal with it. But, yeah, boss rooms, like, you're locked in, so. (laughs) But the good thing is, by that point, you're so far in the game, like... All of the bosses, you know, if you survive this long and you defeated Hush to get in here, all the other bosses should be pretty easy. Like, you should be able to blow through them pretty quickly. Okay. But it's, yeah, so it's you gotta fight, like, any number of those bosses, and you fight Delirium, who is essentially a boss rush 
in and of himself. So he uh, changes between all of the other bosses you fought to this point during the battle, and he just has a huge health bar. Damn. Okay. So it just <laughs> you essentially have to fight a boss rush to get here, and you have to fight a boss rush at the end to beat him. And um, I did that with one character. I forget the characters. Aphrodite. It doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I wasn't doing great on that run, but I got a Tanuki Leaf, which is um, essentially turned. It's like the Tanuki suit in Mario Three. Yeah, that's exactly what came to mind. Okay. If you stand still long enough, you just turn into a statue, and you became uh, invincible, but you're you know, immobile, so you can't move. Not the ideal for a bullet hell where you have to constantly be dodging and moving around and shooting tears. Yeah, but at least you're not taking damage. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. In that run, I also have Mother's Knife, which changes your, your tears as your main weapon into just a knife that you can hold and shoot in front of you. And it's really good because it does piercing damage and can go through things, and it can also go through, like, rocks and walls and stuff. Like, normally yeah. your tears would be blocked against those, and your the knife can shoot through them. Oh, nice. And it does great damage. And this ended up being an ideal combo because I would just stand still in a boss room, turn into a statue and not take any damage, and then hold the knife out, and the knife is out, so as long as they touch it, they get damaged. So I would just stand still, and the boss would just move towards me and hit the knife and just get damaged repeated. And I had, like, some flies around me that would do a little damage and all this other stuff that happened. But, like, it was the knife and the statue power-up that ended up just kind of being game-breaking. That's amazing combo, though. I feel like that's what you as a player discovering something like that. You're like, this is the ultimate strategy, though. Even if it is a little cheesy, it's it's great. Oh, yeah, like, that's the biggest appeal of Binding Isaac for me, is seeing the power-ups combine. So another run, I got Brimstone, which you shoot a giant laser, and is easily one of the best power-ups in the game. And another one I got is uh, Broken Mirror, which turns your tears into boomerang tears. So when you shoot the tears, they, like, shoot out, and then they come back to you and <laughs> uh, hit the enemies. But combined with Brimstone, with the giant laser, it just... The laser doesn't come back fully, it just starts turning. So instead of shooting in a straight line, it starts weaving, like, towards the enemies... But not in a very predictable way, and it's not easy. So that actually was counterintuitive. Like, it backfired on me. So, But well, it's yeah. cool seeing how they combine like that. Boomerang tears in general sound like they backfire on you. Like, that's just like adding it's insult to injury. injury. Yeah. yeah, you're crying out your tears, and they come and make you wet more. Like, no thanks. Yeah. But so the Tanuki leaf turning into a statue and the knife worked out perfectly. Because a lot of the bosses, like, their biggest... Uh, like attack is chasing you down and just like physically jumping on you or like hitting you or running towards you. And with Delirium, because he's a boss rush, he cycles through all the bosses he fought. He's uh, like, even if I stood still, eventually he would get to a boss that would like, whose main attack was running at me or uh, transforming a mother who would step on you. And then when he does that, he would take a lot of damage by hitting the knife. So yeah, I didn't have a great run, like a great build for that run. But I had those two items, and I just didn't get hurt ever, because I would be a statue. <laughs> so, like, I beat it with that, and it was just, it felt really weird and crazy to find, like, both a new boss, a combo that, like, cheesed it so well, and it was just kind of a crazy run. I just love the variety of it all. That's so cool that you could even experience that. That's great. There's so much. And, like I said, every time I beat it, there's, like, you unlock, like, these three new items for the next dungeon. I was like, God, fuck, all right, I gotta find those guys now. Like, there's... So much. There's yeah. so fucking much in this game. And the you know, I'm playing it again because DLC is coming out, which will get, just give more stuff. And it's like this massive fan-made DLC, basically. And it'll add like a hundred new items. It's like, 
God, fuck this game. It's just <laughs> taking over my life. Hey, if you love something, you love something. Yeah. yeah. I, I've certainly got, you know, plenty of time out of this, you know, game for the collective. I'm going to say maybe $70 I paid for both games and all the DLC. Like, I've gotten my time out of it for sure. So, if you want to measure the value of a game by how much time you put into it, it's, oh, God. I pay like two hundred dollars for this game. It's still <laughs> probably not enough, right? Uh, besides that, uh, played a little bit more Grindstone on the Switch. Uh, ended up beating that, which I was kind of surprised by because I was on like levels like one hundred and seventy to one hundred and eighty. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, there's probably like two hundred. That's probably a well good number. Oh, there's a bonus stage of ten levels. I'll get to those later. And I got to level eighty, and it's like a boss fight, uh, which is a similar boss fight to the ones you've done before. Um, and I was just like, all right, yeah, I'll go. I'll beat level eighty, and I'll go on to you know level one ninety, and then I'll finish up this game. Nah, one eighty's it. Like that's just it's a boss fight you've done before, but that's the final one. Okay, yeah. So I was, was kind of like, huh? I didn't. It, it, there, there was no build up to the end. It, it was just ended. a cap. Yeah, yeah. So I was really kind of surprised by that. And then once I beat it, I was like, well, I beat it. I don't need to get more resources. I don't need to unlock more items. I got all the costumes. I'm like, I don't need to go back into those 10 bonus levels because, like, they're bonus levels. They're not, you know, going to give me anything new. So I'm like, I guess I'm done. Yeah, GG. Yeah. Got a little cutscene of the guy, like, going back to his office and, like, punching out for the end of the day covered in, like, blood and guts. And I was like, huh. All right. (laughs) Great time. I mean, I got plenty of hours in it and, you know, had a real fun with it. I think it was, like, 20 bucks or something. Yeah. Definitely recommend. It just, I... 180 is a weird place to stop, especially with no, like, fanfare for the final boss. So I was kind of just like, huh, all right. For sure. Uh, and what else? Oh, and I started playing Control. Oh, that's right. I dropped in a stream of yours where you were uh, trying that out. Yeah. I figured, <laughs> honestly, I figured I couldn't stream it because I figured how intensive it was, but it, it wasn't actually that bad. I don't think I dropped any frames. So Nice. Uh, still pretty good. Um, but yeah, Control is... Very fun and just so, so fucking kinetic and like, it it makes sense why it's demanding. Both because graphics like, it's very cinematic and I have some close up shots of the characters and it's very detailed and it's very good. It's I I am almost positive like it's uh the motion capture of the characters' faces like in L.A. Noir where it's like they got actors and then they just put the actors in the game like they just copied their faces over, um. Because some of the characters are like so detailed and it's it's so cinema esque. Like it's definitely yeah. a, it could easily be a movie, but it would be like you know it'd be like a forty five hour movie. So for sure, I feel like the hardest thing to translate when it comes to three D animation of like of realistic people is the mouth movements, and I think mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job in this game. I mean, clearly it's not going to be perfect, but I, I feel yeah. like it's at least much more convincing than your average game that's like hyper realistic. Yeah, it's not like Mass Effect where like the bottom jaw just like flaps up and it's like blah 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 blah. blah. Like, yeah, <laughs> and there's plenty of shots where the character's like in her head, like talking to herself or talking to this like passenger that's helping her, Polaris. Yeah. Um, and so like zoom in on the eyes and you get super detailed shot of like just the eyes and stuff. So yeah, they really put put the attention to detail and try and capture the actor's likeness and put them in the game as well with certain characters. Um, but just like. I shared it on stream. I was telling you about the telekinesis where you can just interact with everything, like so much 
of the level is interactable and just you can pick stuff up and throw it. Or when you do like a melee, you don't really punch, but you do like this big like token that needs this push, and it'll just destroy everything in front of you. And you know, you pick up a desk, and the desk will fall apart. You'll pick up the lamp on the desk. You'll pick up the you know the soda can in the desk that after it was blown apart, like. There's so many little objects in every single room. I'm like, oh yeah, I I understand why this game is like demanding and you know I wouldn't say it takes a high end PC to run, but like it'll you might want to play on low settings if you're st- uh, struggling with it a bit if it gets a little sluggish. Oh, definitely. Uh I feel like from a development pr- perspective that's got to be so difficult to test and everything like I don't oh, even yeah. know. I feel like I forget which game was one of the first games to introduce like destructible environments that I was ever aware of. And I, I think it might have been one of the Battlefield games because like, oh, yeah, if you shoot this tree, it actually falls down. I was like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff is just mind blowing in games. And I feel like they've taken it to another level. Like they've completely raised the bar of like, yeah, literally user kinesis powers on anything. And that's wild. Yeah, and it's not just like, ah, oh, you shut the desk and it explodes into a thousand pieces. Like, you shut the desk and, like, there's a bullet hole where you shot and, like, just that area around it is affected. But then if you just lay into it, yeah, the rest will splinter apart. Like, it's, there's so much detail in the destruction physics of everything. That's cool. And I'm sure, like, the people modeling the artist and, like, getting the character rigs and stuff for the main characters that you're seeing all the time put in a lot of time and effort into that. But, like, for a lot of these games, it's probably, like, background artists, like, yeah, you can fucking throw, like, a can of soda in there, and you don't have to worry about it, because no one's going to pay attention to it. But I'm, I think for the control for this game, they're like, everything needs to be as a, a detailed and, like, so much time put into it as the main characters. Like, there's no level of difference between, like, the background artist and the, you know, character modeler. Like, they both have to be putting in, you know, hundreds of hours to get all this stuff right, because there's so much. Right. So... Just from that alone, I am very impressed by this game. And, yeah, like I talked about before, the telekinesis, like, the abilities, and, like, it feels great to use. It feels great, like, you can pick up anything around you with the telekinesis and throw it. If there's nothing around you, she'll rip out the, like, stonework of the floor or walls and throw that. So like, you always have something. Um, so when I'm playing this game, uh, fighting enemies, it's like a standard shooter. It's, well, it's not even a standard shooter. It's not like a Call of Duty like where you're running a you know, first-person perspective. Um, but it's shooting. The main combat is shooting. And for a lot of the enemies, it's fine. And then they start getting shields, like a psychic shield that covers them. And they are really tough before you get telekinesis. And then once you get telekinesis, they you can throw something to disrupt the shield and then lay into them when you're gone. Um, but a telekinesis is just so powerful in combat as well. And then it's fun to use, and it's just like, God, this is just a very satisfying game to play. Like, it yeah. just feels great. Um, so, backstory for anyone who doesn't know, your character called Jesse Fannin. You go into this big office, uh, uh, government sort of bureaucrat uh, building called the Federal Bureau of Control. Uh, the game starts off, you walk in, it's a very dreary, like, sort of corporate building. You walk up to the front desk, no one's there. You look around the lobby, no one's there. It's a pretty empty lobby. Uh, you walk through the metal detector security, no one's there. You go upstairs uh, on the, like, balcony that overlooks the lobby. And you see three pictures of, like, a professor, like a scientist. Picture of, like, a janitor's back saying, like, our crew, like, that keeps us, you know, healthy and clean or whatever with a little plaque. Yeah. And then you see, like, the picture of a director. So it's, like, three por- portraits in the hallway. You walk down the hallway, you go to, like, an area of the office. Like, you can see into offices with, like, glass walls. 
So you walk in front of you, there's an office. You turn to your left, you walk down the her- hall a little bit. Turn to your right. Uh, keep going. And you, you find one office that's in, like, the center of this room. So you can go around the whole office. And it's, like, all glass in the center, like a boardroom meeting. So you walk all the way around that one. And when you get around to the other side, you see a janitor there in a hallway that wasn't there. What? Like you, you walk by this office, and it's just a straight hallway of offices on both sides. Yeah. And then uh, the one office connects to the one in the center. But then when you walk around all the way around the one in the center, that side of the, the hallway is now open. Dude, that's trippy and psychedelic. I love it. So immediately when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. I ran back the way I came. That way's closed off now. The way I came is no longer there. Like, that's not that hallway anymore. It's now another office. So immediately, like, this is in the first, you know, five seconds of the game. Like, I just <laughs> Damn, that's wild. And I was like, all right, shit's happening. <laughs> Talk to the janitor. He's like, ah, you're here for the new janitor or, like, assistant position. Go down the hall. Go into the elevator. Go down to, like, this floor that they'll help you out and, you know, you'll start working with me. And I was like, wait, no, I went down that hall. And I went back down the hallway, that the balcony area that overlooks the lobby with the three paintings. Went ba- back down that hallway, the painting with the janitor, that's an elevator now. And I was like, no. And I ran back down to the lobby. <laughs> no? I ran back down to the lobby. I was like, something else happened. This is a game that wants you to crawl and sniff out every single secret. They want you to explore every detail. So like that's what I'm trying to do. So I ran back down to the lobby. Sure enough, there's an office in that lobby now. And, like, the little side, like, cubby, like, that you would have easily overlooked. That was not there before. I guarantee you that. That was just a wall. And now it's, like, a little office area that's got a documentation you can pick up and read about. And I was like, this fucking game's already getting to me. So it turns out the building, the Federal Bureau of Control is in the build is in the oldest house. This is okay. like a sentient, interdimensional building that, sh- that changes shape constantly. And they say it shifts around all the time. So you'll be picking up documentation and like notes throughout the game. And one of them is like a memo someone sent of like, hey, the bathroom on the third floor by the cafeteria has shifted and hasn't shifted back. I really need to poop. What? Where is this bathroom? Like basically oh my saying like, God. Basically saying like, I've been out in the field and had to deal with like jungles and shit. I, I expect a bathroom to exist in the office building when I'm in the office building. And they're just like, it's... Interesting that all the weird and like crazy stuff is just like part of the everyday life in this office building where it's like, yeah, the coffee machine or the coffee break room uh, is gone now. And then when it came back, there was a shark in there. And it's like, we got to deal with this fucking shark now. And it's just like all the memos from the people that work there are just very like tired. Like if it's common, you know, office day to day life problems of just oh, like, for oh, sure. this fucking magical bullshit is happening again. I don't want to That deal makes with- it feel real. Yeah. Like it, it's really interesting. And um, they do a great ca- caveat where it's like, ah, all this weird, like, crazy uh, space-time continuity issue shit happens. But, like, it only happens with, like, it, it's based on, like, folklore, like, mythos. And it's this, the Office of Control deals with, like, yeah, like, cryptids and all that crazy stuff. But then, like, objects of power, which is just like, ah, it's a light switch. And when you pull on it, you get transported to a hotel. And no one knows how, or like people disappear and they wind up in the oldest house somewhere. And then they also have like rangers, like 
you know, like Green Beret level rangers that work for the Bureau of Control who yeah. explore the oldest house. They're going on recon missions within the building because it's constantly expanding Damn. and changing. So they're just like, yeah, Johnson in accounting disappeared one day when he hit a light switch. We found him three weeks later, like in the oldest house, like 45 miles away from you know any known area. Jesus Christ. You know what I feel like might be a big inspiration for like this concept in game is uh that book that I've never read, but I've only heard uh, stories about is uh, House of Leaves. By oh, Daniel Z- Z- Zilnuski. I can't say his last name. It begins yeah, yeah. with a Z. It's absolutely insane. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that book I'm pretty sure is about a, a, a house that's like bigger on the inside than it is outside. And people are like, yo, what? And it gets crazy. And it's also like it was initially like a collection of like just like stories told over the Internet and then kind of com- like brought all together into like some big like story now i don't know i have a copy of it i need to get around to reading it but it's also like very strange like it like if you just kind of just like skim through the pages some of these pages are absolutely weird where it's like the text (laughs) is upside down or like forming like shapes and stuff and i'm like what it's very strange so like i i do want to like go down that rabbit hole one day but i have a feeling yeah this is probably an inspiration for sure yeah Uh, yeah sounds like it yeah i've I've heard of house of leaves but i never heard what it's about um, I like that though. Any author that kind of plays with the like medium, I mean, any creator that plays with the medium, I respect that. You know, totally. He, like a uh, one shot's one of my favorite games because it utilizes stuff that can only exist in a game or like uh, oxen free. Like they really play around with it. Um, I think Lemony Snicket and a series of unfortunate events. Those books, uh, I never read them, but I, I remember seeing like pick, people taking screen or screenshots. Uh, taking pictures because it's a physical thing and not everything's digital anymore <laughs> um but of like in a series of unfortunate events i'm like oh no the lights went out and then you turn the page and the page is just black the whole page is black what it's, like, it's dark the lights went out and it's i like, like that fucking with you that way i was like that's very clever i i'm sure the like editor hated it because that's a lot of ink they have to print and waste on a page as a, for like a bit Sure. That's very clever. Oh, man. The first book I ever encountered stuff like that was was an old children's story called The Phantom Tollbooth. And I feel like if you've never read that, I can't recommend it enough. Even as an adult revisiting it, it's like just a fun time. And yeah, they I can't think of an an example per se, but it does just like utilize like the book medium in a different way where like, yeah, they'll like play on words and have art illustrations and other ways like incorporate the text. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's neat. That's great. Yeah, I always like it more when they really like cap- capitalize on the medium they're working in. Really Hell yeah! To that. Um, but yeah, so control is. Uh, they also say in the oldest house, new technology doesn't exist because it's all based around like folklore and stuff, and like established consciousness in people's minds. So they're saying like uh, newer technology doesn't work because it's not established within the public like consciousness or like zeitgeist. So, like, there's, like, smartphones haven't been around long enough for, like, myths to be developed about them. So, they can't, they don't really function in the oldest house. Which is both a very convenient plot device to be like, oh, Jesse can't just call for help on her smartphone. Uh, but then also makes it this old retro 50s style to it. Everyone's in, like, suits or, like, button-up shirts. And all the technology is, like, really giant, like, computers that take up the full room to use. Uh, all the messaging is done through like uh, pneumatic tubes, so like they send like memos and stuff through tubes in this uh, throughout the oldest house. So it both helps with the plot and also gives it this really cool aesthetic for the uh, setting. 
Right. Yeah, that's so awesome. It works on like multiple levels, and it's like crazy to see because like it's from the same developers as Alan Wake, which is a fine game. I enjoyed it. Mark loved it. I didn't think it was the greatest, like that great of a game, um, but I, I enjoyed what some of the stuff they were doing in it. But Control is just such a fucking huge next level. Like it's such a j- upgrade in like everywhere. It's such an incredible game already, and um. The combat's really challenging because they they don't hold back and uh, and the enemy in the game is called the hiss, which is just sort of this like sound entity that is corrupting people. Ooh, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah, and like no one knows what happened. So when you go in, everyone's corrupted, and eventually you find some people with these hept, uh, HRA hep, uh, harmonic resonance amplifiers, which is just this old like it looks like just a speaker like strapped to their chest with like wires around them and stuff and they basically say like yeah anyone not wearing one of these gets corrupted and like killed except for you for some reason and also you're the director now um yeah you go to the director of the bureau's office you hear a gunshot you go in and you see he killed himself with a gun it's like well you pick up the gun and it's this crazy like polygon gun that changes shape so what um, it's just this huge like revolver looking handgun and then you get an upgrade to make it into a shotgun and you'll see the cu- like cubes around the front of the gun like spread out to give you a wider shot. I so have seen that in gameplay footage. Okay. Yeah, so it's the same game or same gun, but it's made up of these like different blocks, and the blocks rearrange depending on what mode you're using. So I haven't unlocked it yet, but there's like uh, an automatic like auto burst like spin mode. Uh, there's a pierce mode, which I guess is like a sniper rifle. So the game or the gun reforms itself depending on the mode it's in and stuff, and it's. Just really neat, and yeah, it's a whole bunch of shit. You have the board, like you have, you're the new director once you pick up the gun because only the only the director can use the gun, which is called the service weapon. And you find a document saying like, oh, the service weapon is an object of power. It's tied to all these other like very powerful weapons and items used throughout history and myths and stuff, like Achilles' spear and stuff. And it's like, is this? Achilles spear like is this like has it just reshaped itself to a modern day or what like what and some of the people you say like oh that's the service weapon that the director had that's not what it looked like when he had it like yours looks different so it's just this crazy like super powerful being that you know changes shape throughout time and it's you know creates these legends about these like king arthur's sword or something one of them was excalibur yeah oh wow no way okay it was excalibur was an object of power and it might be the service weapon you're using holy shit that's awesome so it's just really cool and it's like government conspiracies and all those crazy stuff but then it's tied into like folklore the myths mythos saying like ah this object of power is you know the sword in the lake or the lady in the lake was dealing out and stuff like that and uh all this crazy stuff but then it's just like super quantum physics theoretical nonsense like yeah it could be all made up science i don't know i'm not smart i don't know what any of these words mean but it sounds good in combination oh for sure like i'm putting it together like yeah i know what they're talking about it could be all jargon i don't know um so i i really enjoying it it's really a great time and yeah i'm honestly probably should have gotten this game a lot sooner but yeah, like, it's I've been meaning to, and I'm glad to hear that this is your review of it thus far. I have a feeling it's only going to get better as once you complete the game. So yeah, I want to get my hands on this one too. Yeah, there's a bunch of different mods you can get for upgrades. For your, you get personal upgrades, you get gun upgrades, you get you know different resources you get from enemies as you kill. Uh, the combat's tough, but I would say it's just tough because it's so unique. 
Like, it's, like, you can crouch and take cover, but you're not magnetized to it. Like, a Gears of War game. So it's not, like, forcing you to be a cover-based shooter. Um, honestly, a, like, a, the thing that works the best for me is just upgrading my energy that you use for telekinesis. So I get that back as quick as I can. Yeah. And just throwing shit. Because the telekinesis kind of, like, locks in on them, and it works really, really well, even in combat. Um, you fight some enemies that fly around and will use telekinesis against you and throw stuff at you, and they dodge all telekinesis, so you're forced to shoot them. So, like, they understand how powerful telekinesis is, and they're like, no, no, no. Like, we're getting on top of this early. You can't use it all the time. It's like, damn it. Right. So, some, some of the enemies are just really tough and they just keep coming at you and stuff and it's it's challenging but it's it's definitely satisfying my only problem is so far is exploring around it's a big fucking place that's constantly shifting and changing yeah, its shape that's so gotta be tough it's tough um but then when i'm running around i'm trying to explore a new area try and get to a new checkpoint in an area and it's i'll get like a a new mission appears saying like go back to the mail room the hiss are invading the mail room i was like god and there's a timer. It's got like 20 minutes and it's counting down. I was like, God damn it. I'm going back to the mail room and you got to run back. You fast, even fast traveling back to it, it still takes a bit to run everywhere because it's so big. Yeah. Um, so I'll fast travel there. I'll kill all the hiss. And then I have to go back to where I was. And then when I go back to where I was, if I didn't get that checkpoint yet, they respawn. So I'm like, God, got to do this again. Um, and I don't know what happens if I don't, if I don't do those timed missions because I failed some of them. I ran back and they killed me immediately because they overwhelmed me and then it just failed the mission. But like the Hiss didn't take that area back over. Like I ran back in and they weren't there anymore. So Hmm. I don't, I don't know if I need to do those timed mission ones. I think that might just be like, if you need certain resources from certain enemies on this floor or you have like, you have like little mini objectives, like get uh, headshots in this area against these enemies or like kill, kill this number of enemies with this weapon. So you get little like objectives and you'll get rewarded for those. Yeah. So I don't know if those timed missions are just to do those. Like, ah, you gotta kill them in the executive sector. Here's your excuse. They spawn in the executive sector. Yeah, it seems like it could be optional, like, additional challenge. Like, go do this if you want to. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I failed them and nothing bad seemed to happen. But I also wouldn't put it past this game to have, like, a thousand things running in the background being like, oops, you failed 15 missions. Now a boss spawns and you gotta deal with that again. It's like, ah. So, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm paranoid as hell with this game because it's (laughs) so much is going on all the time and it's just crazy but it's it's very very fun if you just want to get thrown into this crazy extra dimensional uh mythos like government conspiracy sort of game like this is it that's great yeah i love the blending of sci-fi and folklore shit that's amazing oh yeah it's cool that's cool. Uh, yeah, as far as what I've been playing, all right, here we go. I tried out Greedfall finally, and I only played it on stream for about two hours, and I feel oh. like it's definitely a game I want to continue, but uh, initially it was a, a kind of a little slow. I'm just like doing some like early quests, like we're telling everyone we're about to set sail off to this island where all like the cool shit's going to happen, where we encounter all these like crazy beasts and shit, but you do some like uh, minimal quests in the beginning, and it's funny, one of the first companions you meet, his name's Kurt, like I was kind of shocked at how immediately I was given the option to romance him, and I was like, <laughs> I'm, I am going to do so this, Let, let's go, let's see how it goes. And that that was the problem, though. Immediately, and I, in my character creator, I was trying to make a super handsome looking guy. So this guy's just tan, just like a real hottie. A little and beefcake. 
I go to Kurt and I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And his reaction was, I'm open to a relationship, but not with you because you're not my type. And I was like, oh, I got denied immediately. <laughs> so there are ways to uh, persuade or uh, romance different people, but I apparently have no luck in that regard just yet. <laughs> I like that. It doesn't lock you out, though. Like, ah, you picked the, the male character. You're locked out of all of these romance options. They're like, no, like they might reject you or they might not. Like, yeah, exactly. So that's I'm glad cool. that's – yeah, me too. That's why I was like, I, I have to do this. We're on stream. Let's give it a go and Hell see yeah. what happens. Uh, but yeah, so no luck there. But uh, early on I'm, – I'm enjoying the game. I feel like I, it will get more interesting once I set sail <laughs> and go to the actual island and all that stuff happens with like the yeah, main yeah. quest. But uh, so far, so good. Uh, definitely keep an eye out on our Twitch channel to see maybe some more updates there. But I, I do think I'm going to have a lot more fun with that. And that leads me to my next game, which was Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I, I feel like I've put at least three, maybe maybe three to six hours into that game on stream. And now I'm about to like put the brakes on it because I oh. missed a game in the franchise. I've brought this up in the past. I have all three of them, and I, I was unaware of that. So initially, I played the 2013 tomb raider reboot on my gaming pc apparently i got it for free one of these playstation plus months in the past for playstation so i was looking through my library it's like oh there's a 2013 reboot there's rise of the tomb raider the one i just completely never played for no good reason and then here's shadow (laughs) of the tomb raider i started just because i'm like yeah i want to play tomb raider again uh so now I'm putting the brakes on Shadow because I do want to just play them all like sequentially just to like get, get the, the full, full experience. Exactly. I just yeah. want to do it right for the trilogy's sake and for anyone tuning into the stream. So that's kind of be like one of my focuses for January and February is like let's play 2013 remake in its entirety. Let's play Rise of the Tomb Raider in its entirety and then also we'll finish with Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So I'm excited to do that at some point. I will be playing on a couple off days like Fall Guys and shit for the people that tune in for that specifically and maybe some poker and stuff. But those will be like my primary uh adventure games. It's going to be a lot of Tomb Raider. Um but that's the thing. I alluded to it earlier in the uh, in this episode that I was going to bring something to the table, and it's a tabletop game, and it's a trading card game, and I feel like I've Ooh. talked about it in the past, but it's the Harry Potter trading card game, so oh. I feel like um, – exactly. I knew that was going to be your reaction, <laughs> but no, Bren, you got to hear me I out I thought here. it was fun. No, it, it actually, this game is surprisingly fun. This game yeah. – it's, it's basically Magic the Gathering Light, so like for people that are like, oh, Magic seems too daunting, yo, Harry Potter's where it's at. <laughs> it, uh, so, sorry, it's just Magic Gathering. It like, it's super simple. It's like Yu-Gi-Oh. It started super simple. It's just the attack or you on attack. You tap or you on tap. And now, like, yeah, seeing a new Magic the Gathering card has just a brick of like text on it. Like, it does this and this scenario, this and this scenario, this and this scenario. It's like. Holy shit. For sure. And that's, it seems daunting. And I feel like uh, in Magic the Gathering, it's more damage based to the characters. In Harry the Potter, yeah. it's more or less you're trying to deplete the other person's deck. So as soon as their deck is oh. empty, you win the game. So like, and it's a two player game. It goes a lot quicker. I, I, I'm telling you, this game has a lot of merit to it. And I'm shocked that what happened to it. So, all right, I'm going to do a little history lesson for people that are unaware. Harry Potter trading card game came out in 2001. So I think that was like, Jesus. Yeah, and it and they ended it in 2002, so it literally only lasted like a year or two. <laughs> Did not um, do well. 
But it was with, well, and, but it did. Okay, here we go. It was by Wizards of the Coast, the people that make Magic the Gathering. So it's, uh, the cards are like incredible. The artwork was phenomenal. It, the flavor, so to speak, of the trading card game is more, uh, akin to the book series rather than the movies. So like there's characters like Peeves and all these other things that you're like, you wouldn't necessarily encounter in the movies. And like the character art, it doesn't necessarily look like Daniel Radcliffe, for instance. But regardless, uh, the artwork's incredible. Um, the game itself didn't last. I feel like there's uh rumors for why it stopped happening. Some people say like, oh, maybe Warner Brothers had something to do with it and said you can't do this. But mm-hmm. Wizards was is like a very popular company. I think the real reason was something to do with the artists not getting compensated, and there was lawsuits involved. And they're like, you know what, Ooh. we're just done with this. But yeah. the the problem is, at one point, I was reading an article when at the height of the trading card game, it was like the second best selling toy in the United States. And what's interesting about this trading card game is it was sold across the world. So there's Italian cards, there's Spanish mm-hmm. cards, and there's English cards. I think there's even Japanese ones. But the th- fact that it was cool. only manufactured for two years makes these, like, incredibly Rare. hard to come across. Yeah, so, yeah. like, trying to get back into this is like, oh, shit, Brent. Like, where am I going to get these cards? So, and, so you're doing the physical cards, not, like, an online version yes. of the game. Well, and that's funny you bring that up because I know you've brought this to our podcast on many occasions tabletop simulator does have a harry potter trading card like expansion or however you want to put that you can download the yeah a mod so that's something i do want to maybe try out in the future i haven't quite yet but no the people there is a revival and this is the craziest thing about it it's literally the year 2021 and just a few months ago in 2020 they released a new module made completely by fans it's called hair of slytherin and there's just like all new cards and the cards literally look just up to par as if like they as if Wizards of the Coast would have put them out like the the font the graphics everything about these cards looks in, like there's so much attention to detail and these fans that have done this I like can't like applaud them enough it's absolutely insane and people are trying to bring it back there's a discord there's a community on Facebook uh it's and I was watching like this one YouTube channel where this guy and his wife are like teaching people how to play. It's re- very heartwarming that the community is coming back, but it, it's also interesting because in this like uh, trading card game community, a lot of people are like scalpers in the sense of like they're selling uh, booster packs for like more than they are necessarily worth and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some of these people in the Harry Potter community are saying that uh, Pokemon and Magic the Gathering people are jo- joining these groups trying to realize that oh there's going to be an influx in prices and there is oh there's a huge influx now that the revival has started and i feel like i've gotten pretty lucky there's a few facebook marketplace uh posts about like oh i'm selling my harry potter cards for like 10 bucks or something i'm like yo i'll buy them and i i would make out like bandits and be like oh my god there's like some crazy rare hollows in here and so i've been building my collection that way and i have enough to build a few decks it's pretty exciting but uh for the most part trying to get your hands on this stuff is really tough so i it it sucks for like anyone trying to get into it it's like oh boy you either had to have started a collection when i how old was i in 2001 i literally probably literally 20 years ago yeah that's fucking insane so i can't believe i even was on that 
I'm glad I was on the trend back then buying those things and wasting my money then because now as a 31-year-old, I'm like, oh, I'm actually playing this game and it's actually really fun. So yeah, I played a few rounds with my wife and we're both like, wow, this is a super fun game. So it's like making us more intrigued in tabletop. So I feel like if that's the catalyst, Harry Potter trading card game, so <laughs> yeah. we're having it's- a lot of fun. I, yeah, I never got into Magic. I know, like, I had friends and cousins who had uh, got into it, and I played. I remember a buddy of mine just got, like, a brick of just, like, 200 Magic cards from a dude he worked with. The dude definitely stole them, and he just sold it to my friend. <laughs> Jeez. Um, yeah. So we played those, and, like, it was definitely fun. I saw the appeal of it, but I also yeah. knew it was, like, an addiction where it's like, once you're in. You're it. Like, you're Brent, I'm dreaming in Harry Potter cards. It's yeah. fucking stupid. I don't, I'm literally <laughs> thinking to myself, how did this happen? But like, I am literally all in and I'm having so much fun with it. They're like, uh, for anybody new, like, definitely give our Twitch channel a follow because that's something I think this year I'll be trying out is like doing some matches with my wife, teaching people how to play and build different decks. And just like, uh, I know there's other tournaments that are happening in the future and I'm going to try to be involved. So. Yeah, that's why, like, when you talked about this, I, you posted in the uh, our Slack about it, I thought it was going to be, like, a digital version of this. Like, I didn't think it was physical because, yeah, like you said, it was they made the cards for two years or something. Like, that's got to be super limiting with what you can actually get. What's interesting about this new module, the Hair of Slytherin, the fan-made one, people are saying, like, print your own because it's literally illegal to sell these new module cards. If you, like, print them and sell them, like, no, you are not allowed to do that. These are just proxies of, like, fan-made stuff and, like, it's literally in, like, legal documentations by Wizards of the Coast. They're like, you can do this, but (laughs) don't sell them. And it's like, okay. So, and that's the thing. This Discord community I'm in, they have, like, a whole channel just for printing and it's like, go to this website, upload. Exactly. Exactly. They, there's a whole PDF of every single card yeah. of the new module. So that's, that's something so I would weird. like to do in the future is like to print my own of the new module so I can at least uh, try the new strategy because, there, yeah, there's new strategies involved. It's oh, a, yeah. an exciting time for Harry Potter fans uh, or trading card fans specifically. <laughs> and uh, I did read earlier today in one of the Facebook groups that the next module is in the works. So I'm like, man, this is like just going to kind of snowball, hopefully, for people getting back into this game. Well, yeah, especially if it's getting, like, a revival now. Because, you know, I think it's safe to say Harry Potter's kind of, you know, peaked. And it's been a while since. So, like, with Wizards of the Coast, they do D&D and, you know, magic and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, that that stuff can just spiral out of control endlessly. Like, for new stuff. Here's a new card of just Hogarth the Terrible doing whatever. Yeah. But Harry Potter is, like, a set world and lore to it. But, like, yeah, I guess they can go to... There's the North America, you know, schools of magic. There's the other ones from the Triwizards Tournament. And I guess they could expand into those, especially now if it's not official. And like, say you just have some really good artists who get into this game and start making their own. And if it's, you know, if everyone's just saying like, print these out, you legally cannot sell them. Like, we can't exchange money for this. So everyone just gets these cards for free and you can print them out on your own and play them physically. Like, like, yeah, I guess you can open that up and just kind of open up the world, the lore and world of Harry Potter and start making new ones. Yeah, and that was the coolest thing about it was since it only lasted for two years, you literally only had cards that were reflective of the first two books. So, like, the last oh, module yeah. we had was literally called Chamber of Secrets. Oh, so, this weird. new one being Heir of Slytherin is more or less about, like, yeah, the I guess continuing – ch- yeah, or, c- or continuing no. the, yeah. the Chamber of Secrets, but then we're going to, I guess – get into some Azkaban stuff. I'm, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's very exciting, but it's funny how you said like 
Harry Potter has kind of peaked. You're, I don't deny that, but we also saw uh, that game Hogwarts Legacy that was going to be coming out in 2021, uh, where it's like you build your own wizard. It's not even yeah. focused around Harry or any of that, I, and you just go to Hogwarts and have an adventure. I remember being super stoked for that. Apparently, that's going to be delayed until 2022. So hopefully, the yeah. card game can hold me over and keep my Harry <laughs> Potter like uh, craze alive until we get to that game. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's definitely people who are still interested in the world and the characters and stuff, but, like, peak Harry Potter was, like, Pokemon. It was fucking insane. So, like, there's no way it's anywhere close to what the peak it was. But, yeah, people still clearly care about it and, you know, want more of it. Uh, For despite, sure. Despite all the best efforts of the author to uh, trying to tank their own franchise and ruin it. Yeah, um, that's what – oh, God, it's hard. We won't get into <laughs> that. She no, sucks. that's what I mean. It's too uh, – it's – oh, man. We're on the record for J.K. Rowling sucking ass, so – we yes. Can move on beyond that. Um, Thank yeah, you. that's crazy to see that that they're just like this for revival. Because yeah, I don't know what happens. Some streamer, something happens where like there's always like card game streamer, like or you know YouTubers or streamers or whatever like uh, content creators for tactical physical trading card game like uh, tabletop games, um, especially Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh and all those because it's it's a gamble. Tart cards were the original loot crates. Yes, of, it's, you buy it's them, very much You don't know like what the fuck you're getting. So the like, lottery. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I, I, I was addicted to it then. I am now. <laughs> exactly. It was gambling for kids. It was safe gambling. And that's what it always has been. And like now people are realizing, hey, maybe that's not great for kids. Uh, maybe that's developing addiction uh, to gambling early on. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it is. A hundred percent. No, it's exactly like, yeah. It and the randomness of getting one rare in a booster pack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I had just like a, like a shoebox full of Yu-Gi-Oh cards and I was going to sell them to a kid at school being like, yep, it's 50 bucks. He's like, what in it? What's in them? I'm like, I don't know. I lied. I knew what was in it. It was all of garbage. Course. I took yeah. down all the good ones. That's what you have to Why wouldn't I do on that? Facebook Marketplace and eBay if you're trying to get Harry Potter cards because there's plenty of people that are like, yeah, this is worth like $60 and it's all commons. It's, it's like, all garbage. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what's crazy. There's something happened. So there's always been like hard game, like content creators, but something happened, I'd say, within this last year, within 2020. It was COVID, Bren. I guarantee it because that's when everyone turned to the tabletop games. Really, I think there's quite a revival in a lot of that in that capacity. Well, I think the tabletop games have always been like uh, the revival for tabletop specifically has been going on for a long time now, like for a few years now. True. I think with COVID, I think that's kept people locked in their house and were like, all right, I guess I got to fucking clean out my attic because I have nothing else to do. They find the old cards and they, that sparks the like reinvigoration into cards totally. specifically or something. Because yeah, I've seen people just being like people who weren't card like card game or card pack streamers becoming card pack streamers and doing like opening packs for cards, like buying. I'm not kidding, like hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of cards oh, and yeah. opening them. Um, game Grumps is a very famous YouTube channel with Eco Raptor leading it. Um, he. Just started doing that like a deck master. He never was into it before COVID. And now he literally buys like thousands of dollars of cards and opens them on stream. And like, that's video. exciting and videos. Like, oh my what God. What the though. fuck? Like, it's in, like, the, you know, for me, I'm like, cool, you're into cards. I'm losing my mind of how much people are spending buying these cards because it's, they're not cheap. No, they it's not. not cheap. Well, and that's the thing. I was just watching a YouTube video the other day of not very a not very popular streamer, but they bought a, a box of sealed Chamber of Secret boosters. So you get a box in a box is thirty six different booster packs. Yeah, a single booster pack of of a sealed Chamber of Secrets goes for like fifty dollars on eBay. Ugh. So do fifty times thirty six, and you have eighteen hundred dollars, and that's <sighs> the going price for one of these. And <laughs> oh, it's God. literally and I, that's the thing. I just saw on. 
on Facebook Marketplace, uh, this guy selling his Harry Potter cards, a bunch of hollows, and some unopened booster packs for the Quidditch set, which those aren't very valuable. But even still, an, just a sealed booster pack in general, like, I was like, let's, he was selling it for 15 bucks. I'm like, this is insane. I got in touch. He's, he's going to ship them to me on Tuesday. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, the, the, there will be, it'll be priceless to have that moment where I'm like opening an, a sealed booster pack from 2001 and I'm going to be like a 12 year old again being like, what rare do I get? So I feel like there is some value there, but I, no, I cannot imagine spending nearly $2,000 on a box. But the reason people do that is because in the Chamber of Secrets booster packs, there's a chance you could get, there's two cards with the word Dobby in it. Dobby's disappearance and Dobby's help, and they're both worth almost three hundred dollars each. Oh so I feel God. like these people, if you if you un if you reveal a Dobby's help or a Dobby's disappearance, it's almost like you made some of your investment back. So it is very what, much like a lottery thing. That that's what it feels like. People are like looking at this as investments. Like they're like, I don't give a shit about the cards. I don't plan on playing this game. But it's <laughs> but like if sucks. I can I, get the rare Dobby card, I can flip it and charge like. 1500 or like 15 times what i bought it for because card game fans are fucking lunatics who will drop that money on it we really are but it also sucks for the people that are really playing the game like me i'm actually playing the game with my wife and want to participate in tournaments i'll never see a dobby card in my life even though it'd be great to have in my deck that's the thing like because of this like massive influx in like card opening streams and stuff and like the popularity for it it's like it's no longer like like you said, the Harry Potter game, it's no longer just Pokemon cards or like Yu-Gi-Oh cards or Magic cards, which are popular uh, franchises and always have been. It's the fucking Harry Potter card game that only existed for a year. And it's literally every card game right now on the planet is super expensive because people are just buying them up in huge swarms. Um, the rapper uh, Logic bought, here you go, he bought uh, 10 mint condition Charizard Pokemon trading card games at an auction for $220,000. Holy shit. Like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, you can do yeah, whatever what you want. You're an adult man. <laughs> you got a lot of money. Feel free to do whatever you want. But, yo, what the fuck? Yeah, and is also, he going to play dri- those cards? It's also oh, just right. driving the prices of everything else. So, like, if you know of a main condition rare card like that, obviously it's super expensive. But now, like you said, just the booster packs, because everyone's grabbing them as quick as they can, it's driving the price of those up as well. It might be garbage in there. No one knows. But the chance of it being a rare one is forcing people to spend more and more money. And yeah, a lot of people love it for the property that it's about. And a lot of people want to play it because they love the game. But I think most people, or maybe not most people, but I think there's a huge group of people now with this recent influx of people looking at the card games who just see it as an investment. Of just oh, yeah, they don't give it, a fuck about the game. Yeah. And that's just oversaturating the market and just making it more and more expensive for everyone else. Yeah, that sucks so ass. I think you're crazy. definitely right about that. And Harry Potter's an easy franchise to love. And it, the fact that it was by Wizards of the Coast, it's like these are quality yeah, cards. The legit. art's incredible. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm super stoked about the revival. I'm part, I'm happy to be a part of it, but yeah, to get involved now, it's very, uh, it's a tough one to get into because, yeah, but there are, check out Facebook Marketplace and eBay if you have a couple bucks to spend and to build the deck, maybe get started, but, uh, it is gonna be a very expensive little, very niche hobby. I can't believe we're even talking about on the show. I'm sorry. I (laughs) haven't this much time to it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I'm, it's like I said, I'm dreaming about it though. So like, I'm, I I can't take my mind off this card game. It's a lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah, keep your eye on our Twitch stream. Maybe we'll play some uh, IRL card games. But uh, that's it for the gaming discussion, at least. Is there anything in the news we want to talk about before we wrap this episode up? 
Uh, there's not much that I personally want to talk about. Uh, it looks like EA, the company, the shitty, shitty publisher of a game company, no longer holds the uh, licensing rights to Star Wars. Oh, so, holy shit. That's right. I saw Digital Devolver or somebody tweet. They're like, can we do a Star Wars? It is like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So, yeah, now people are like, hey, can we make a Star Wars game and make it good this time? Because EA doesn't have its shitty, shitty fingers in the pot anymore. So, like I've said it before. My favorite thing about Star Wars is – my least favorite thing about Star Wars is the movies. Everything else about Star Wars is pretty neat, especially the games like Jedi Academy and Nice the Old Republic and stuff. So, yeah. like, if they can bring back quality games like that and, like, make those again, like, hell yeah. Explore that expanded universe that is technically non-canonical now that Disney bought the rights and are saying everything is everything in the expanded universe is non-canonical. That way we can bring it back and get money off of it and make it canonical again. It's like – Cool, great corporate shitty movie. Fucking oh yeah, Monopoly. Uh, I mean, I can't talk too shitty about Disney because they might own me someday. So I gotta watch my tongue. <laughs> God, that's scary. Yeah, it's very possible. I'm in LA. It's bound to happen. Um, but yeah, so that's like it just happened. There's not much like really news besides that of like they apparently no longer hold the rights to it uh, game wise. So yeah, hopefully we'll see cool Star Wars games coming out soon and not just remakes of Battlefront, like worse pay to win remakes of Battlefront. Right. Well, another one is we got a new Indiana Jones game announced by Bethesda. Uh, so that's interesting mm. in many ways. Like, what a mm. sentence. Well, first of all, <laughs> I don't remember other Indiana Jones games. I'm sure they're out there. That's I just Uncharted, never played them. Tomb Raider. You're well, playing well, well, yeah, that's true. I I meant like actually like with the IP oh. of Indiana Jones himself. But I think uh, there are some. I don't think they're great though. I don't either. But everyone's kind of like excited for it, and I'm kind of shocked because, like you said, we we we've played this. Yeah, yeah, there's one in 2009, 2003, 99, or 92, 2008, Lego Indiana Jones, yeah. Uh, yeah, so there's a few, but there's nothing that's like, oh, this is a great game, this is a great Indiana Jones game. But yeah, we, we've seen this property time and time, or not property, but this formula time and time again with Uncharted and Ch- Tomb Raider and all of the knockoffs that came with those. So it's like... It's like, I want to play one of those games, but as Harrison Ford this time. It's like, all right, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> I'm, that's not going to be six dollars for me. I've already I've already complained about the Tomb Raiders and uh, Uncharted games enough. Like the disconnect of like I killed a man. It's like you killed hundreds of men. True, you killed that's thousands of men. One thing I forgot to bring up when last week or whenever I was talking about Shadow of the Tomb Raider is that's a cool thing that you can do. I don't know if it's just exclusive the photo mode. No, I think you can play around as a different Lara Croft if you go to like your campfires and go to settings. You oh, can yeah, play as like the PS One Lara Croft, like <laughs> the it's polygon. Like, like, oh my god, yeah, the pointy boobs and everything. <laughs> And you can also play the various uh, Lara Crofts throughout the the various games and stuff. It was really cool. And then there was actually a Llama Croft. And I was like, what the hell? And it was just like a llama that I guess is her likeness. So, yeah, I'm not (laughs) sure if you can play as that. That might have been a photo mode thing. But regardless, Ah, that was definitely something. That'd be funny. Um, uh, Games, though, that caught my eye. And I feel like I don't have a good memory. So uh, forgive me if we talked about this on a previous episode. But did we bring up the game Calico? Uh, yes, we talked about it uh, when okay. Bastor were talking about your kind of game. I thought yes. you were talking about Calico, so I brought okay. that up. Okay, thank you. Then we're not going to dive into that, but it is a very cute game. Check it out on very, Steam. Very silly, very fun, you know, nonsense sort of game. Uh, this one is courtesy of Matt from Super Game to Cast 64. I can't remember where I saw him post about this, but it's a game on itch.io right now. It's called Return to Castle Monkey Ball, and it's basically <sighs> Return to Castle Wolfenstein, but instead of you're playing as like a 
the guy in Castle Wolfenstein, you're uh, in a monkey ball. It's just goofy as hell. It's basically combining <laughs> both games and like the food and stuff are bananas. Yeah. It looks really cute. Uh, if that's even remotely interesting, check that one out. It's a free game you can play. Oh, uh, yeah. And then what else Ridiculous. is happening? Oh, we have in, in April, we have uh, Pokemon Snap coming to Switch. So that's finally got a happening. trailer for that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. Are you going to play that one? Uh, I'll wait for that because Pokemon Snap was fun, but it is just an on rails, very slow game. Like I played it back out of college in like 2014 or 2015. So yeah. like, I still have a pretty recent memory of it and not, you know, coded nostalgia. And like, it was a neat game, especially to be in the world of Pokemon, but not like in the battles, not fighting them. Um, so just seeing them in their natural environments. So that was like a neat idea, but it is an on rails shooter, but you're not shooting and you're taking pictures. Um, and it's just slow as shit. And, like, it's it's not... I've heard people say, like, it's not fun and they got a lot of criticism for it. It's, I could definitely see that argument. It's definitely, if you have nostalgia for Pokemon or if you just love Pokemon so much you want more of it, that's your game. If you don't have that feeling, yeah, it's not a fun game. It's it's just a photo mode. So, like, I'll, I'll wait to see what it looks like before I dive in. Or yeah. I, I might not. But, uh, but it definitely looks neat and... It has people asking the question, how big are these Pokemon again? Because, like... Oh, God. There's... Uh, I forget the evolved form name. There's Chikorita from the second one, the Grass Starter. There, it's final evolved form. In the trailer, it looks huge. It looks yeah. massive. Like, a Brontosaurus huge. And people are like, how big is this? They're like, well, everyone you play as in the Pokemon games are kids. So it's safe to assume they're, like, three to four feet tall. It's like, no, no, no. This thing is gigantic. How big are these Pokemon? Like, so... It asks, it asks the logistics questions of Pokemon again, which no one's ready to answer. Nobody's ready for those questions because I remember when we asked those questions to the Fall Guys guys, we're like, how big are these beans? It's like, they're like six or seven feet. And it's like, That's, why? No, don't do that. No, don't There's do no that. There's no reason. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. Very it cool. fun, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but I think that's going to do it for this episode. Let's wrap it up and do some plugs. Bren, where can our listeners find you on the internet and your other podcast? You can find me on Twitter, ABTS Brendan, and then I also do another podcast about anime. We love anime here, except for Basta. Uh, it's called Are Weeb There Yet, where we watch three episodes of an anime or a movie and give like a recap and our opinion on it. And uh, at this point, we were trying to convince our main host in turning into a weeb. That's never fucking happening after a hundred some episodes. So I've given up and just pitch it as it's a good entry point. Uh, for anime that you might be interested it's a good sampler pack of anime like would this catch your interest does this sound fun and interesting to of a show do you want to watch listen to the just hour of the podcast to see because sometimes they're really good like sweetness and lightning which is a father and a daughter cooking and bonding together which is great Aww. and i watched all of it and then other times it's a show like nanny uh or nana which sounds like a coming of age uh, lesbian tale of a girl finding her love for another uh woman with the same name it's not. That's just fucking queer baiting, and it fucking is high garbage. Don't watch that fucking show. Okay, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> that one's fresh on the uh, fresh on the burn. That's uh, I still got lingering injuries from that one. Oh no. Yeah. Fair enough. And listener, if you like our show, give us a like, follow, subscribe. We're findable at all the places at ABT Silence. I mentioned our Twitch channel earlier. It's just twitch.tv slash ABT Silence. Uh, Monday, Wednesdays, or Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, I'm streaming at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and every now and then, uh, late nights on Saturdays. So yeah, stop and see what we're playing. Like I said, this month, uh, in February, we're probably gonna be playing lots of Tomb Raider, 
sometimes Fall Guys and sometimes poker. Uh, and I also have a record label. It's MissedOutRecords.com if you want to see what cassettes and vinyl are available for sale over there. And the intro music and outro music is brought to you by a band called Kinda Alright. Head over to KindaAllright.bandcamp.com and give them some support and love. They're a great band and they deserve your attention. I love all their music. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next time. See ya. See ya. See ya.